الجزيرة بودكاست For 40 days, the Ranoke Mukutui children were lost when the plane they were traveling in crashed deep inside the Amazon jungle in Colombia. The rainforest is dense and dark. There's not a sliver of sun to be seen. It's the rainy season in the Amazon, and the rain is pouring. A search and rescue operation has been underway for weeks to find the children, ages 13, 9, 4, and 11 months. But hopes they'll be found alive are dwindling. Together, Colombian military and indigenous community leaders took to the skies and the ground, scouring the rainforest, thick with underbrush, full of bugs and predators. Suddenly, a member of the indigenous guard makes a discovery. It's the children. They are emaciated, malnourished, and dehydrated. The eldest child, Leslie, manages to say one thing. I'm hungry. Her brother, Tien, says, my mother is dead. They're whisked away by helicopter to the nearest hospital, ending a grueling, weeks-long search. President Gustavo Petro says their discovery was nothing short of a miracle, even calling it magical. So how did four young children, including a baby, managed to survive the treacherous Amazon jungle. I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. My name is Alessandro Rampietti. I'm Al Jazeera's correspondent in Colombia. So, Alessandro, take us back to May 1st. We know a small propeller plane fell off the radar shortly after takeoff. A plane carrying seven people cites engine failure and disappears from radar. What happened? Who was on the plane and where were they headed? There were two pilots on the plane and a family with four children from 13 to 11 months old and their mother. And they were trying to reach the father of the two youngest siblings in a city called Villa Vicencio, from a little village in the middle of the Colombian Amazon rainforest, because he had been threatened by an armed group that operates in their region. Mm-hmm. And we have since heard from family members that they feared that the children could be recruited by that armed group. And so the father had asked the family to reach uh, him a month after he had left. Soon after taking off, it lost uh, touch with the Villavicencio airport and it just disappeared. And it took a few weeks to actually find what was left of the plane since it first hit the top of these very high trees in this very, very thick part of the Amazonian jungle where there are no villages, nobody lives there, and then crashed into the ground. And the three adults died and the children survived. 
When did rescuers eventually find the crash site and what did they discover? Well, the father of the two youngest siblings, together with other uh, indigenous scouts, members of the so-called indigenous guard, which is a sort of a community self-defense unarmed organization that exists in indigenous territories in, in Colombia, uh, started the search and it, it took them essentially almost two weeks to find the crash site. The bodies of the children's mother, the pilot and the co-pilot were found, but there was hope the children were still alive after items left behind by them, including a drinking bottle and half-eaten fruit, were found. And when they got there, they found the bodies of the three adults and they also found evidence or signs that made them think immediately that instead the children were alive and had moved away from the site into the jungle. That's because they found the remains of what they most likely ate the first few days mm. while they were there and a makeshift shelter that was built by the two oldest of the children using leaves and other things that they found there. Wow. So these are very young children, including, at the time, an 11-month-old. Can you describe what the Amazon rainforest is like and what kind of conditions they were facing? Because you said it took two weeks to reach them. Why is that? Well, consider that, as we were saying earlier, this area is totally free of human beings. There's no, nobody lives there. There are no villages. There are no roads to get there. Even the maps that exist about that area, they lack precision. Mm -hmm. So much so that the rescue team had essentially to redraw the maps as they were exploring that territory, that area of Colombia. Wow. When you think about this rainforest, I mean, you're looking at a very, very thick forest with trees up to 40 meters high in the sky. When you are inside it, you often don't see the sunlight because the vegetation is so thick that the sunlight doesn't get mm. through. Mm. I've had the opportunity to be in places like that in, in Colombia and jungles. And I remember, for example, when we visited a FARC camp the FARC rebels camp before they signed a peace deal with the Colombian government. And I spent five days inside a jungle like that without essentially seeing the sky. And even in just five days, it sort of changes your bearings and your relationship with this sea of trees that you see everywhere. In a way, it's like looking at the horizon. You don't see where it ends. And when you finally step out of it, the sky, the space, all of a sudden you feel like you're in a different dimension. Which makes it all the more incredible that these kids survived, and they survived for 40 days. How did they do it? What do we know? We're still discovering many details. We know that, at least at the start, Leslie, the eldest, was the one who took their siblings out of the airplane and took things that were useful for them. Leslie's skill and savvy has been credited for how long the siblings survived. And it's a trait of hers that her grandfather highlights. 
The oldest girl is very intelligent. She's very active. And she's strong. And the most important was big bag of farinha. Farinha is a type of cassava flour uh, that is food for many of the communities that live in that area of the Amazon rainforest. So that was their main food, at least for the first few days while they were there. The other thing that definitely helped them was the fact that children who are born in traditional indigenous communities know the jungle. They know how to move in the jungle. And since they were very young, they learn from their parents, from their grandparents, how to take advantage of the jungles that, which they consider like their mother. The children belong to the Witoto indigenous group. It's thought their knowledge of fruits and jungle survival skills helped keep them safe. They don't necessarily fear this place that would be extremely threatening to us because it's full of jaguars and poisonous snakes, poisonous plants, wow. all sorts of things. But they learn quite early in life what's edible, what kind of fruits they can eat, what kind of seeds they can eat, what kind of plants are useful for them. They also took the first aid kit from the airplane that we understand was also quite helpful. And throughout the days, they have found at least one of the aid kits that were dropped from airplanes and helicopters by the rescue teams that also had food that they recognized, and in particular, this farinha. So the children are surviving in this treacherous jungle for weeks, and finally, they're found. How long was it before rescue teams found them and what techniques were used during the rescue efforts? Overall, it was practically 30 days. And it was sort of a mix of cutting head technology with ancestral knowledge. That's a point that Lucho Acosta, the national coordinator of the Indigenous Guard, also made. It is a combination between ancestral wisdom and Western wisdom. We can say between a military technique and a traditional technique. That combination created hope, joy and life. They also had search dogs participating in the operation. And it looks that one dog in particular, his name is Wilson, was key in finally finding the children. And this particular dog, it seems like it has been in touch two times with the children before they were found by this group of indigenous guard. There is a, a different, a more mythical explanation about why the children remained missing for 40 days. The grandmother, for example, says that the jungle that they consider living spirit essentially was holding the kids that uh, can present itself in the forms of an animal or a person. It can be anything, really, and that has this kind of power. Now, the day they found the children, the dog disappeared, Wilson. Oh. And what they're saying is that from the spiritual ancestral perspective of the Witotos is that the jungle gave back the children but kept the dog. 
But beyond the rescue, how is the Renoke Mukutui family story an example of the dangers indigenous communities can face in the region? More on that after the break. The Inside Story podcast dissects, analyzes, and helps define major global stories. We get into the details with experts who explain how policies affect people. The Inside Story podcast by Al Jazeera. Find us wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm talking to Alessandro Rampietti, Al Jazeera's reporter in Bogota, after the survival of four children following a deadly plane crash. So we know that President Gustavo Petro has been pushing for what he calls a total peace in Colombia, which would potentially curb the activities of rebel groups and gangs. And this showcases the threats that indigenous communities have been facing. The child's father says he fears for his safety, and that's one of the reasons he reportedly left that area. I have been threatened. For them, I am a target, because I know the whole area. I am afraid these shameless people might start to pressure me because of my children, and I will not allow that while I am alive. So how common is it to see the displacement of indigenous people in the region because of violence? Unfortunately, it remains very common. Colombia has improved tremendously since the early 2000s when it was essentially a failed state. The signing of an historic peace deal with the biggest rebel group in the country, the FARC in 2016, also helped. But unfortunately, it did not solve many of the country's issues. Part of it has to do with the fact that the implementation of that peace deal required a series of reforms that should have changed the reality on the ground of a lot of these remote and rural areas has been very slow. And that's because there is no state presence. These areas are like a wild west where whoever has the most guns controls the territory. And since the government or the state hasn't stepped in to take control of this area, new gangs, new armed groups have appeared to continue taking advantage of the illegal economy that thrives there because of the lack of a state presence. So unfortunately, Colombia is still one of the countries in the world with the worst statistics when it comes to the killings of environmentalists, community leaders, indigenous and minority population. Hmm. And so often the people that are caught in the middle of that fraught relationship between Colombian forces and rebel groups and dissident groups are indigenous communities, which really speaks to how much of a breakthrough this operation to save and rescue these kids must have been. Absolutely. They were first moved by the fate of these children, but also I think it was one of the few cases in the decade that I spent here where I saw the entire country, (laughs) which is usually quite polarized, quite divided on most issues, that was there all together, you know, hoping that these children 
would be found alive. Mm. And I also think that it's very important that this happened through the synergy and the joint sort of effort on part of the military and the indigenous population, and in particular, the role that the indigenous guard has played here. And that's because Colombians see indigenous people often as second-class citizens of this country, and they have a very low opinion of the indigenous guards, In the worst case, they are considered terrorists by many Colombians or organizations that aid the armed groups. And soldiers don't trust the indigenous guard and vice versa. And instead, in this case, they've learned to work together, to respect each other, to learn from each other's knowledge and abilities How are the children doing now? They are still in the hospital and it will take time before they are released. The doctors say that they are out of risk, out of danger. They have been stabilized, but they have injuries. They were deeply malnourished. But since the first day that they arrived here in Bogota, one thing that I think was very positive was the fact that The director here of the Family Welfare Institute said, when I entered the room, they were playing. They looked weak, they looked emaciated, but they were playing. And we know children, and children that play will be fine. Yeah. Um, I know there have been reports of a legal battle between the father of two of the children and their grandparents. That seems to be the latest. Do you know anything about that? So right now, the children are in custody of the Colombian Family Welfare Institute. And this institute will have to decide who will have essentially the custody of the children. The grandparents have accused the father of the two youngest of having been violent in the past against their mother. It's in a way obviously sad that there are these divisions and accusations, but we really don't know at this point what is true and what is not. Finally, Alessandro, I wonder what this story has felt like for you to be covering it because you're also a parent and this is a happy story, but Also, these are children who've lost their mother, who've had to live through a terrible ordeal in the jungle, not knowing if they'd be rescued. How have you been covering these ups and downs of this case? Well, it has been extremely emotional. And obviously, having children, you can only imagine how the father felt, what it meant for them to survive this accident and see their mother dead in front of them. I think that these children have become a symbol of the resilience of the people who live in rural areas of Colombia that have often been stigmatized because they live in areas mostly known for illegal mining or being corridors for drug trafficking. And instead, you know, it shows there is value in 
these people, their knowledge, their relationship to nature, and that special spiritual relationship to nature is what helped them be alive, it's what helped the country find them. And that's The Take. This episode was produced by Sonia Bagat and Chloe K. Lee, with Khalid Sultan, Amy Walters, David Enders, Miranda Lynn, Ashish Mahotra, and me, Malika Bilal. Alex Roldan is our sound designer. Alexandra Locke is The Take's executive producer. And Ney Alvarez is Al Jazeera's head of audio. We'll be back.